friends. Today's a big day for me. It marks the end of something of maybe like a gestational period, uh, depending on where you start counting. Three years ago, when I started my dissertation with Tom Ward, but of course, then again, given the huge event that took place in my life in 2015, really, you could go back to seven years and 10 months in terms of gestational period. Of course, then again, you could also say, given that I'm 54 years old, that this whole thing has taken 54 years to write. Whatever the case, today is the birthing process. And uh, I'm really happy to tell you that the book, Theology of Consent, Mimetic Theory in an Open Relational Universe is out at all fine digital retailers everywhere. So I hope you'll take advantage of that and pick a copy up. people will find it meaningful or they'll like it, but for whatever it's worth, I gave this, well, in all of my writing, I do this, but certainly in this case, I gave it everything I, uh, <laughs> everything I had, man. Einstein once said that creativity is intelligence, having fun. And I'd like to think that that's true. I'd like to think that I have some creativity and some intelligence and that this was fun, but also that creativity itself like the making something part is always entangled for me with a letting go of something part. And intelligence is needed to consider the depth of joy and pain in all of that. It's never just like, oh, here's this brand new shiny thing. It's always a part of letting go of something. And that letting go piece is super difficult for me. Well, it's true for all of us, I think. And so, yeah, it's fun, but not in a comedic kind of a way but more in a meaning-making kind of a way. It's almost as if I entered 2015 with certain psycho-spiritual knots and theological tangles, like huge subconscious invisible things that I wasn't even aware of, of course. And they were, they were holding the construct of my life together. And that over time, one by one, they just kind of began unraveling, uh, loosening, getting untangled, I'm not even sure that's the right way to say it. Not necessarily like unraveling as in my whole life fell apart, except that my whole life kind of did fall apart. But unraveling more in the sense that I've been growing more and more at peace uh, while at the same time accepting that there isn't a lot of peace in my life. Hmm. Yeah, I've been growing more and more at peace with all my unpeace. So the unraveling kind of needed to happen, but it's not like it's now uh, eradicated all this tension in my life and everything is perfect because I have all the theology figured out, but rather it's just being aware of the deep tension of life and the beauty in the midst of all that. probably a dozen different ways to characterize why evangelical world became uninterested in being associated with me. But one way to describe it would be to say that this just isn't a system that's comfortable with people who are at peace with their unpeace. And in some ways, I don't even blame them. 
I mean, look, if you can create something where you have complete peace or you think you have a complete peace anyhow, then yeah, go for it. I mean, as long as you're not hurting others or scapegoating others or suppressing your own questions or denying your sense of self or sacrificing your own health to get it, then sure, lean into all of that. But of course, even as I'm saying all these things, I mean, with each one of those, I, I sense my frustration growing because those are all things that come barnacled to the evangelical system. I'm not saying that you necessarily, if you personally are in that world, have to necessarily feel all of that or even agree with all of what I just said. What I'm saying, hmm, what, what am I saying? I think what I'm saying is that, look, I was in that thing my entire life, that system. I was deeply embedded. I know its structure as well as anyone. I saw the inside, we might say the underbelly, the way in private it admitted it really didn't know truth, but the way in public it boldly proclaimed that it did know certain truth. I saw all of that. I heard all of it. I experienced all of it. And I don't say this with malice. I just simply say I was there and it's a structure that cannot be at peace with itself if it has leaders who don't get to peace in the way that it wants them to get there. Peace for them um, is answers, confidence, certitude, having faith. I mean, well, notice even how I say faith in the midst of all those other things as if it's synonymous with having no doubt which is a complete misnomer because faith only happens in the presence of doubt, in the presence of anxiety, of loneliness, of grief, in the presence of this deep awareness of the potential for chaos at any step along the way. That's what faith is, which is another way maybe to explicate my point about creativity. Creativity, I think, is probably pure potential. It can go good or it can go bad. Now, when we order things, when we influence things, we do our best to systematize things, often we can harness creativity and make it go well for us, which isn't wrong necessarily. The problem is that in church world, we quickly sacralize that process. We codify it. We put it on stone tablets. Talk about written in stone. We tell everyone to worship it. And then eventually, it's inevitable. We commodify the power that comes from our way of worshiping it. We build liturgical experiences around the worshiping of it. We, we create entire pyramids of ecclesiological power structures to enforce, uh, subtle enforce, forceful enforce, the whole thing. You know there's something off when you sense that pyramidic structure to make up a word, pyramidic. Pyramids always funnel the elite to the top. And the movement of Jesus, truly, I mean, think about it, always turns the pyramid upside down. It's anti-pyramidic movement. <laughs> the movement always funnels grace to the bottom. And in doing so, gives strength to the weak, power to the powerless, comfort to the mourning, resources to the poor. Yeah, peace to those who are at unpeace.
I began to admit intellectual honesty about what it was that I was feeling, which for our purposes today, I'm calling a profound sense of unpeace. A realization that life cannot be controlled, that God is love and love consents to life because to control is the opposite of love. So even though I was in alignment with the most powerful thing in all the cosmos, in this sense, a God of love, it didn't necessarily prevent me from experiencing terribly awful things. So when I began to admit all that, to proclaim all that, it just engendered the pushback of the system. Of course, engendered isn't even a strong enough word. Uh, triggered would probably be a better word. My acceptance of my unpeace and trying to help people get to their acceptance of their unpeace triggered the system. Because the system has no other recourse but to lean into oh, what I often call capital O omnipotence, to come down with the hammer of capital T truth. Would it be okay to read a paragraph from Theology of Consent? <laughs> I hope you say yes. I'm talking about capital T truth, but then I say, however, a type of lowercase t truth persists, or in Caputo's language, insists. Lowercase t truth doesn't argue the existence of God. Even more, it doesn't argue for anything. Rather, it simply insists. Its insistence is revealed in the dissipation of waves upon the shore, in heartbeats arrested in prose, in the midnight depths of falling snow, in the echo of a name, the periphery of a sunset, the wound from a friend, in a whisper, in a prayer, in a first kiss, in the very last kiss, in parents carefully laying sleeping children in their beds, in parents carefully laying sleeping children in the snow deep as a grave. Yeah, this lowercase t truth, it turns the pyramid upside down. It insists in the logic of love, which of course everyone knows is no logic at all. Lowercase t truth insists deep within the injunctions and prohibitions and commands and preaching of capital T truth. One of my favorite films is Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. I think there's a way to see the show placing capital T truth side by side with lowercase t truth as the father is placed side by side with the mother, Mrs. O'Brien. For example, um, we see bedroom scenes of parents, each parent waking the boys, and each one does it a bit differently. Mom comes in with ice cubes, playfully placing them on the necks of the boys, and then opening the curtain to reveal the sun. When dad comes in, he rips the covers off the boys, and then he immediately leaves. The viewer seems to be pulled back and forth between images of light and dark, joy and gloom, presence and absence. There's a line at the beginning of the story where the mom says, grace doesn't try to please itself. Of course, the dad is unimpressed with all of this. He's suspicious of grace. He's suspicious that it's weak, that it will make his boys weak, that it'll put them in a position where others will take advantage of them. So he warns his boys, your mother, she's naive. Except when the film juxtaposes his ideas with subsequent scenes, that is, a dinner table scene where he yells at his wife and he exclaims that she undermines everything that he does. Or a kitchen scene where his hands are at her throat. Those scenes seem to belie his true feelings. 
It's in his reaching for brute power that he's conceding the strength of her weak power. For if one is unmoved, unimpressed, dismissive, why react with such force? Maybe all capital T truth is like Mr. O'Brien. Its obsession with potency belies its impotence. Maybe capital O omnipotence is compensating. Maybe all the red-faced shouting and preaching and rules and commandments helps it cover up what it suspects, that it's no match for the integrity of the persuasive, the beauty of the alluring, the sustainability of the invitation, the pyramid upside-down turning power of lowercase t truth. of consent to wrestle with all of this. Well, because it was wrestling with all of me. What else do you do when stuff's wrestling with you? And because I suspected that René Girard's mimetic theory, it had something to say about all of this, which I think that it does. And also because I suspected that open and relational theology had something to say about all of this, which it most definitely does. Open and relational theology, building upon process theological thinking, has been pointing to the problems of capital T truth and capital O omnipotence for quite some time now. You might wonder, but okay, wait a minute, what's the real problem with omnipotence? Well, there are a hundred, but let me just leave it at one for now. If your God is the ultimate hammer, coming down from on high to fix everything, to order everything, to put everything in its place, eventually, I guarantee that this will happen, that those who serve God the best, and I say the best in air quotes, they will be assumed to have hammers as well. And if your religious system is a hammer, everything becomes a nail. And it kind of works until you find yourself or you find one of your loved ones to be the nail. Then it no longer works. If I had one point to make right now, it would be, hey, Evangelical American Christianity, capital O, omnipotent, worshiping, capital T, truth, wielding Christianity. Listen up. There are a host of people groups over the years who have been nails for your hammer. And there are hosts of people who are even right now finding themselves to be a nail for your hammer. It's not right. It's worse than not right. It's the worst kind of wrong. The power that supposedly is attached to Jesus is the power that controls everything, smashes everything, dominates everything. That's not right. That's not who Jesus was. In spite of all of that, I'd still say a lot of really great things have happened in these church contexts, but the price has been incredibly high. It's been too high, actually. For every good thing, well, good Lord, who knows how many bad things have happened. And frankly, even if it was only one bad thing, it's still too much. We could choose to go a different route if we wanted to, to unravel the system of capital O omnipotence, of hammer-wielding capital T truth if we wanted to. 
The theology could be built upon love if we wanted. Love, and the one who seemed to most embody love, which was Jesus, was in solidarity, not with the power, but with the powerless. I know there are some good individual people in the evangelical world, but the system, bullied about as it is by puffed-up preachers all jacked up on thin theology, is broken. What they call holiness under the Lord is simply code for legalism, and the louder they sing, the more they miss the music. The real song goes something like this. I'd rather be excluded for who I include than included for who I exclude. That's the kind of song that Jesus sang. It was terrible and wrong, but also world-changing and beautiful. And I think beauty is the hope of the world. Beauty isn't concerned with getting truth. It's not a thing, an object, a rightness one possesses, a sword one swings. I imagine beauty enjoys rightness only when it resonates with goodness. Otherwise, it's just another sword in the sheath of omnipotence. Beauty is uninterested in such powerful objects, though I suspect this is the source of its irrepressible power. With beauty like that, wrote Dostoevsky in a conversation between a son and his mother in the book called The Idiot, with beauty like that, one might turn the whole world upside down. I don't think it's overly dramatic to say that Christianity or American Christianity is standing at the door of change. And I'm thinking now of that religious leader, Nicodemus, who stood at a door of change under the cover of night one time, talking to Jesus. Nicodemus asks, what does this mean? I imagine he glances over his shoulder and then he leans in a little bit. How can someone start over? He pauses, not so much to hear the response, but to mentally calculate his vulnerability. Prompted by a whisper of wind, I imagine the teacher holding out his hand, extending his fingers into the draft. Where does the wind come from? The teacher asks, the moment passing. Where is it going? He moves his fingers as the air fades in and out like a memory. In the wake of the breeze, with the last of the candlelight flickering in the background, Jesus says, Time's making ghosts of everything, Nick. There are no guarantees. He looks in the direction the wind has traveled and then back at Nicodemus, rethinks his sentence and amends it a little bit and says, except I think only the guarantee of beauty. So yeah, today, this is all happening in book form. I wish everyone could read it. Not because it'd make me well-known or I'd get a bunch of money. Good grief. If that was true, I wouldn't be talking about it here and now at no cost to you or doing half the things that I've done. I love it when people try and accuse authors of making money off of their meaning-making systems because, geez, first of all, we're all doing it in one way or another. And authors, by and large, are not making much or any money it's an incredibly difficult system, like in some ways a pyramidic system to break into. The odds are stacked against anyone doing this kind of work, so it's certainly not about the money. It's about helping people untangle their own knots, to be at peace with their own unpeace, to accept that they've already been accepted by love. You don't have to do anything or be anyone or go anywhere 
to get love. Though once you embrace love, though once you authentically interact with love, you probably will want to do some stuff to be someone or to go somewhere. But that's not the point. The real point is love accepts you no matter what, just like a child is accepted by a healthy parent no matter what. The power of love is in its consent. It's a consensual relationship. It'll be with you no matter what you do or no matter what you don't do. And if we had a theology of consent, the world just might have a chance to be changed. Peace, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Jonathan underscore Foster podcast. Don't forget to pick up a copy of Theology of Consent on Amazon. And if you like it, leave a review. Let's do some laid back jazzy stuff. Yeah. And now we fade this out.